Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. To his day, February 7th, unbelievable. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, market call, 1 p.m. Eastern time. If you think I know what's going on, think again. So we'll try to figure it out together, Dan. This market call brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, our data provider, FactSet, always there by our side. By the way, Dan, today is the 7th, which means tomorrow is the 8th. And I'm going to read, so um, forgive me for a second. Join us, I mean, me and Dan, for a 30-minute virtual event to discuss the outlook for earnings, energy, and ESG, the three E's in 2023. We'll be joined by Butters, as well as Matthew Haggerty and Eli Reisman. The live stream is on February 8th. As I mentioned, that is tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Go to riskreversal.com slash factset2023. We also have a link in the description on both YouTube, Dan, and of course, your favorite podcast store. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm I'm equally um, you know confounded. <clears throat> two days two days in a row confounded here, but that's what we, you know, guy. We show up and we just kind of tell it like it is. And tomorrow morning, this is the good thing about that 11 a.m. with our friends from Faxet. It's not going to be a whole heck of a lot of guy and Dan pontificating. It's going to be asking some very smart people um, a lot of good questions. We're going to try to help you guys come up with some ideas to make money in the markets here. Um, but right now, guy, I'm losing money in the markets. Um, listen, you know, we talked about this on Market Call. We've talked about it on our podcast on the tape. We talked about it on Fast Money. You know, last week when, when Jerome Powell you know, gave his presser here, I mean, the one thing, the one thing that he should avoid doing is kind of sparking, you know, like re-sparking, mm-hmm. reflating the risk asset bubble. Because, again, you know, some of the biggest companies in our country and the stock market are guiding lower. They're telling us that they don't have a whole heck of a lot of visibility. And their numbers and their, you know, the key metrics that they track or we track as investors are decelerating. But what's mm-hmm. happening? And when the stock market rallies the way it has, I mean, now we have valuations out of whack. Mm-hmm. And we also, the one thing that it seems like investors, at least in the stock market, are betting on is that interest rates with the CME Fed fund tracker telling us Fed funds going to be at 5% at the March meeting, okay, that they're going lower somehow. I, I just don't. So, so tell me, how does that make any sense, guy? Uh, to me, 
it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So again, let's just play the game for a second. If if you're giving the current level in the S and P forty one fifty three a market multiple of eighteen, I just rounded up. That means the market is anticipating about two hundred thirty dollars worth of earnings, which is great. I mean, they can anticipate anything they want. The problem, of course, is to your earlier point. I mean, you have continued to have companies guide down. You continue to have commentary that's anything but bullish and what i find particularly and look who knows what's going to happen the rest of the day clearly i don't because this rally started before the man even uttered a sound on stage which i also find somewhat interesting so the market's being taken over by animal spirits that's great and i understand that for the majority of people out there markets going higher is a good thing and people and you know this gets into a little bit of a um not a rant but just i want to talk this through for a second now, people obviously get upset. You're always negative. And just a couple things for me personally. And when we started doing Fast Money in 07, remember, things started to go pear-shaped very quickly. Um, the infancy, the early stages, the early days of that show. And in retrospect, the feedback that the network got is, I wish more people had warned us what was going on. And I thought we tried to do it at the time. Clearly, we failed. And in retrospect, what I've sort of learned from that is, I'll let people be as bullish as they want. And it's not that it's my job to take the other side. That's not my point. But what I will try to do is look at look at things a bit more clearer. In other words, you know, take the data for what it's worth and then try to parse and push back on certain narratives that are out there. It's easy um, to be a pundit and be constantly bullish by every dip because eventually it's going to work. And, you know, for the people that were buying Facebook, for six months until it bottomed, and now we're doing the gotchas. Well, that doesn't really help a lot of people, right? So I guess my point is, you know, we're here to try to um, point out some of the things that we're seeing. Doesn't necessarily mean the market is going to do what we think it should do. But one of the things I've stood by is, listen, if you're looking for a cheerleader, look someplace else, because I've never really viewed that as my job, Dan. Matter of fact, you know, one of the things I also find interesting about that that commentary guy is that, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you and I have been trading a long time. And, you know, one of the first things that I learned about when you're putting on a trade, you know, is, is kind of figuring out what could go wrong. And you always mm -hmm. say that you were brought up in the school of what can go wrong, will go wrong. And, and that's how you kind of thought about things. And, and, and I, I, I get that. So, you know, when I started doing CNBC, it was literally within weeks of the lows in 09 guy. Um, you know, I, I found some really interesting like tidbit. I, I had been listening to CNBC or watching it without the volume for the 10 years or 15 years <clears throat> prior to that. And it was remarkable, just the universal bullishness of everybody, even at the bottom. Like, that's great. You know what I mean? Like, you know, but I guess I thought how I could be useful on those programs would be picking out the opposite side of it because any trade that I go into, I like to think about how it could go wrong, how I'm going to risk manage that sort of thing. And then one other point I want to make is that people always say, you know, you use this term a lot and you, you say, I try not to be dogmatic, right? And so I think that makes perfect sense. And, you know, right now, and you said this yesterday on our podcast with Liz Young on, on the tape, you said, um, you know, something about, uh, to, to the extent of like, okay, well, you know, we have this data here um, and, you know, I'm not going to, you know, you said price is truth, right? And so if you're looking at the prices on your fact set machine right here, that's what people are willing to buy and sell mm -hmm. at. And that makes 
total sense here, but it really is about the data and the disconnect that we're seeing with the data. And then you kind of have to input some of these prior periods that you've been through and kind of come up with a, you know, a thought process. And so to me, I, I just think that's a little bit about this period that's going on right now. And it is confusing to a lot of people and it shouldn't be confusing. The last point I'm going to make here is that people also always say um, that don't be emotional. You say, you know, about dogma, you know, let me tell you something. Markets are emotional. Look what's going on here today. You know, look at the intraday moves here. Um, I am often very emotional about the companies that I invest in or short or have short exposure in, the people that run those companies, the products, the services. So I think that's a, a bit of hogwash. I mean, to me, if you're not emotional, that means you're not convicted on the idea and therefore, you know, like kind of what's the point. So I often get emotional. So for some of you guys accuse me of being too emotional, I know how to be nothing other than that. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of emotional, I think we're all emotional creatures. You know, the emotion about your positions are one thing, but then you try to have to take the emotion out of the equation. You talk about this all the time. I mean, there's a certain point where I say this a lot and I'll say it here. The most important decision when trading isn't necessarily where you're getting into a trade. It's where you're getting out if you're wrong. And you have to have that discipline to say, All right, I'm buying or selling something here. But regardless of what's going on in the world, if this thing gets to a certain level, I'm cutting half, third, quarter, whatever the hell, the entire thing, whatever it is. Because if you don't have that discipline, that's when you blow yourself up. So when I say that you can be right 30, 35% of the time and still do well, it's that is in fact true because the best ones out there are the ones that realize that they're wrong pretty quickly. But when they realize that they're right, that's the ones they sort of lever up, push and let work for them. And that's, again, we're not, we're not looking to get on the diatribe here on a Tuesday. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up because I thought it's interesting because I will tell you, you know, as, as that man started speaking, you know, prior to that, I think the Dow and I'm going to speak in terms of the Dow real quick. I think it was down about 85 or so handles. And we're sitting here now, the Dow Jones is up 215 points. I mean, it's a 300-point swing, and I can't really tell you. It's a 45-point swing in the S&P for no discernible reason that I can figure out. Maybe if people in the chat have an idea, I'd love to yeah. hear it, but not, not from where my vantage point, Dan. Well, a couple things here. Okay, we had a bunch of slides. We had the S&P futures, NASDAQ futures. Maybe the guys can bring them up real time rather than the charts that we did. I mean, I kind of feel like this is going to reverse guy. I think this is going to be it for the rally. How's that? I'm saying it right here. Mm -hmm. I think we reverse. Um, and, you know, I, the headline that I think the markets will have to focus on, investors will have to focus on, because Bostic said it yesterday. Powell just said it. But for some reason, we rallied on it must keep rates at restrictive level for a period of time. Okay. Like that's it people. I mean, like that is it. And then when you look at that jobs number on Friday, okay. I mean, 517,000 jobs. I mean, like, think about that. Okay. So again, you know, we're seeing some of those inflationary inputs that came back to the mean. And that was our trade. You and I have been talking about that a lot. We fully, fully expected that. But if things are going to get geared up in Europe as it relates to the situation in Ukraine and let's say the China um, situation with us uh, from a geopolitical stuff seems to hit up, all of this stuff will be inflationary. And it's funny, Guy, you've mentioned this on many occasions is that, you know, we never used to focus on geopolitical things. They didn't cause too many palpitations as it relates to our markets. But when you're grappling with the sort of inflationary issues that we are right now that are very much tied to national security and supply chains, right, and shortages of important, um, you know, kind of commodities uh, and, and input costs and wages 
none, I mean, is one of the biggest ones, and that's not backing off. You go into deglobalization for uh, geopolitical reasons, that's how inflation sticks around, and that's how I'm going to be wrong about rates. I did think that we were going to see the 10-year yield come into three and a half. I know you thought that. I thought we might get to three and a quarter, maybe three. I no longer think that because I think we are in for a 2023 where inflation will continue to surprise the upside, and the Fed's going to surprise by keeping rates higher for longer. It's interesting. Um, I mean, some of these inflationary inputs are actually headed back higher for sure. So we've probably just the way we probably saw it peak in terms of CPI in June. I think it was June. Uh, we might have just troughed in terms of some of the input costs, some of these commodity prices. So we'll see. I mean, to your point, Dan, a lot of cross currents. But what we're tasked to do is try to figure out the market. I'll say this and we'll look at it. And you mentioned um, yields and what have you. I mean, two tens. I think at one point today, what got out to about 83 or 84 basis points, which correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure there'll be somebody out there. I think that's the steepest it's been. Again, it's steeper than it was at its trough you know, over the last year or so, but I think it's the steepest it's been in 41, 42 years. And I'll still submit, we're probably going to 1%. I don't know, again, how we get there. I mean, I've said four and a half, three and a half, whatever, something like that, but Certainly everything's in place for that. And the market, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to care. Now, to your point about a blow off top today and maybe reversing, we've seen we've seen odder things take place without question. And I don't think that would surprise me as all. And some people are on the chat and I'll say um, apparently Powell explained the jobs saying there weren't enough workers. OK, I mean, I, yeah, that's that's fine. Um, but there's still a bit of a problem, I think in terms of what it means for the inflation part of it. You know, if there, if there are more people looking for workers, by almost by definition, they're going to have to pay people more. There's going to be a competition to get those people in the seats or in those jobs, which means wage inflation, I think, is going to continue to be sticky and move up. So, so many cross currents. I think there's a huge amount for the bulls. The bulls have it right now, just in terms of the price action, they have something to stand on. The bears are looking around saying that that is going to matter at a certain point, but they're made foolish by what's going on in terms of the price action. And quickly, Dan, before we get to the charts, when I say price is truth, that's not meant to be glib. And I know a lot of people push back against that. But let me try to explain briefly. What I mean by that is you take everything in, but the, what you base your decisions off as a trader is where things are trading at that time, the price of the thing that, that you're trading. So the conversation we'd be having right now would be entirely different if the S&P were trading 3,400 as opposed to 4,150 or thereabouts. So you can take in all the information, but what you base your decisions off of in individual stocks and indices and commodities are where those indices, commodities, and individual stocks are trading at. Matter of fact. All right, let's pull this up here. <clears throat> we have the S&P futures chart here. Um, this is before that little rip that we had, and we just kind of drew a couple lines on this. I'm looking at the S&P up 80 bips or so here. And again, it doesn't really matter. It's a little higher than these levels. And, you know, we talked about this with Carter Braxton Worth yesterday. If we're charting, you know, a back and fill towards that downtrend, which happens to be at the intersection of that uptrend, which happens to be kind of near that 200-day moving average, <clears throat> makes some sense, right, guy? And, and again, I mean, I just don't – I look at the market trading the way it is. We're going to be through the bulk of S&P earnings. We're going to be through the bulk of Fed speak. We know that we have the next meeting in mid-March. I mean, mm -hmm. at some point after we've just had a little – 
you know, euphoric behavior. And again, where, where have we seen it? We've seen it in crypto. We've seen it in meme stocks. We've seen it in stocks that were basically already said they were going to go bankrupt the companies. Okay. So the equity is worthless. I mean, we've seen it in, 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 you know, really unprofitable parts of tech, that sort of thing. Kathy Wood told us last week that she is the new NASDAQ. I mean, come on, man. She um, she's a great example, by the way, and I'm not looking to pick on her at I'll all, but, you know, but it's a great example of, you know, things go down 65, 70 percent. And the entire way down, you have these people saying, you know, you know, buy it here, buy it here, buy it here, buy it here. At a certain point, the buy it here is going to catch legs and it's things are going to bounce. And then those were the same people that say, see, I told you so. And may, they might look smart. I'm sure for a lot of people think, you know, my God, they're brilliant. But it doesn't really do um, the client or the viewer. It doesn't really help them all that much. I mean, these are broken things. You know, we try to navigate real time every day. I think for a period of time last year, I think we did an extraordinary job. I will tell you, since mid-December, I personally have done a really poor job because you know, this 300 or 400 or so point move in the S&P, as I've said a number of times, has me scratching my head. So we'll see. But again, when, when you have people making comments like that, that is not indicative of a, um, in my opinion, Dan, of a bottom. It's, it's more indicative of a bit of a top. And as we sit in here, um, I'm looking, the S&P is just giving back 30 handles. So is that normal price action? No, I would submit not at all. And you made a great call earlier, and we'll see how things shake out. And I'm obviously not watching this, whatever this man is doing. And whoever is interviewing him, I mean, when, I think the next question would be like, Chair Powell, just out of curiosity, what is your favorite color? Yeah, Because let, that's let, about let, as, as stringent as this interview is. I know. Let, let's pull up a um, a day chart or actually a three-day chart of the NASDAQ futures, if the guys can do that right now. I see them at 12,700 here. And if I look at the high from uh, Friday, guy, I get, a, I get a high of 12,878, okay? So if I'm going to short the futures right here at 12,700, and we just made a high of 12,775, okay, 775, um, I want to kind of put a stop, right, at kind of, I don't know, 1280, uh, 12,800 here. Okay. 12,800. And I'm short them at 12,000, you know, seven, 10 right now as they're moving around. So just tight stops here, people. And if you catch this thing, right, I just don't know what the impetus based on what he's saying right now is to take this up any further. So that's my trade right there. You can define your risk in other ways other than trading the E-minis and, and trading uh, with stops. You can buy some short dated options, that sort of thing. You're risking basically your stop is that premium. We have talked about these zero uh, days to expiration options. Again, you better be convicted. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. You better have some emotion about it because otherwise you're basically flipping a coin. I have no idea which way the market's going to go, but I'm looking at a couple other things, guy, from a sentiment standpoint in the NASDAQ, okay? Microsoft is hoping uh, hosting this AI um, event, OpenAI, they've invested in it. They have this deal with ChatGPT. Um, they're gonna integrate it in their Bing service. And so this is going on right now. And Microsoft was, was up four and a half percent. It's trading at 266 or so. If that thing loses some steam, because this was telegraphed, and people knew about it and they were excited about it. If that loses some steam, watch out. Also, Tesla red on the day here. So 
I'm making my bet in the NASDAQ short dated. We topped out. Yeah, I totally get it. Look, and, and somebody just said Microsoft is a screaming buy. Yeah, I, okay. I mean, that, that's fine. I, I'll <laughs> tell you that the last Microsoft quarter, just in my opinion, wasn't particularly good. Um, I think they actually said that, and the guidance was not particularly good. And these are not, in terms of the cycles, I mean, these are sort of long cycles in terms of getting back to where they need to be in order to maintain or at least in order to have the multiple they're trading at make sense. It's an expensive stock in this environment, but it's rallied significantly uh, from that earnings miss. Remember, the knee jerk was higher. We said on the show that night, Fast Money, wait for the conference call. Conference call came out. I think it traded almost 18 or so dollars lower, if not more. I think it got up to 253 at one point. Traded down, I want to say 233, and now here we are. Does that make sense? Not particularly. I mean, the Apple move is the same thing. So, you know, we've talked about NVIDIA a number of times. The market went from you could wrap your head around valuations to levels now that, again, I, I just pointed it out before. At current levels, we're talking about, you know, an 18 multiple. That's assuming $230 worth of earnings, which I don't think we even remotely close to. And an 18 multiple is too expensive in this environment, Dan. Yeah. Let's uh, see if the guys can throw up Uber there, one-year chart. They report tomorrow before the opening. And I think this is kind of an interesting one. From a sentiment standpoint, Guy, you know, here's a company that, again, is doing their best to kind of stem losses in their business. Um, you know, they've seen, um, you know, they had tremendous promotional um, you know, behavior to get people back using their products. Look at where this one is on a chart. It's kind of that, um, you know, an interesting, I don't know, it got above those, those prior highs from six months ago. I know Carter had a note out to worth charting um, uh, folks that, you know, he likes the setup. He thinks it's a, a bearish to bullish reversal. You know, the implied move, the stock's about th uh, 34 and a quarter. The implied move in the options market guy is a little more than 10%. It's about $3.50 or so, uh, maybe a bit more depending upon when you do that. So that's the put premium, the call premium at the money in the weekly. You put them together, you get about three fifty. So let's call it 10% or so. Over the last two quarters, there's been some huge moves. Stock was up 12% the day after the last quarter, up 19% um, after its Q2 results. Thoughts here, because again, I mean, like here's one where you and I at a time pre-pandemic, we kind of liked lifts focus on just North American mm -hmm. ride share. We thought these guys going in a lot of different businesses wasn't great. It ended up being a good thing for them. Again, you know, I admitted that it was kind of wrong and they took a lot of share in some, you know, versus some of these other delivery guys thoughts here, because this company's still expected to lose a lot of money for the year just ended. Okay. And then next year, considering on a gap basis, still losing money here. Um, and they probably don't get profitable until 2024. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I'm looking at the chart and that April high sticks out like a sore thumb. And it's probably, I want to say like 38 or thereabouts. I'm probably going to be off by a tad, but you know, that seems to where this thing sort of has a beeline. And what I really found interesting is, you know, the first move in a lot of these stocks has been the wrong move. And look at the move in Snap, for example. And I'm not trying to, but my point is the initial move lower in Snap was the wrong move in retrospect, because here we are now higher than it was before it reported. And I think you might see similar here in Uber, where the first move, if it's higher and you get to those April highs, I think if you long the name, you pull the ripcord. And if the first move were to take you lower, and that chart's a tough one to sort of get to gain. I mean, I'm not, but you, you'll know what I mean if you look at a, a shorter term chart and snap. But if you get that move lower in Uber, it might be time to sort of lever up again. So I guess my point is, I think we're in an environment right now where the first move is the fake out, and then you wait and see what happens. And we've seen it in a number of different names. 
Yeah. Um, let's talk about yields. You know, there was an article this this morning or yesterday in the Wall Street Journal talking about how investors are, are dusting off the low rate playbook. They're dusting off the low rate playbook. OK. And I guess I just for the life of me, man, you know, in, in November of 2021, the Nasdaq topped out. It was like the week that Fed Chair Powell said they were going to raise interest rates. Right. And so and what they're doing, they're battling inflation. And so at the time, you know, Fed funds was at zero. It was at zero. Right. A historic low. And we had the 10 year, you know, below a half a percent or so. Never done that before. And that's when basically the mega cap stocks joined the party to the downside. There was a lot of crap that had been correcting for the better part of 2021. Right. But that was it. And so you tell me, guy, if rates are going to stay elevated because we're already seeing signs that the housing market has stabilized a bit, it's come back in. We're seeing a jobs market, the lower unemployment goes. You know what I mean? That if it gets to 4%, I mean, things could still be really tight. They will yeah. be really tight. So I just don't get the rush into a lot of these unprofitable names that got hit when rates were much lower. Okay. But just the indication that the Fed was going to raise, now the rates are higher. The only scenario, and you've said this a lot of late, that rates come down precipitously is if the economy takes a shit. That's right. That's exactly right. And yet the, the knee-jerk reaction to 10-year yields going from, what, 438 or so down to where we just recently troughed at was, you know, all systems go party on, lower rates are positive for high valuation, high growth stocks. And I guess to a point, I understand that. But I guess to your point as well, I mean, now if rates start going higher, I mean, what does that signify? You know, what does that signify? It certainly doesn't signify uh, renewed growth or all of a sudden the market's found itself where the economy has found itself on stable footing. I think it speaks to exactly the problems that we talked about earlier in the show, that inflation is still a problem. And one that you acknowledge might be more of a problem this year than a lot of people anticipate. And again, you know, what is the yield curve telling you? I mean, again, I'm not an economist. I didn't, I was not an economy major. I'm not an economist by trade, by education, by profession. I'm not humorless enough nor smart enough to be one, but an inverted yield curve, as long as we've had it and now widening it out again, it's not suggestive of things going all that well. And people, I know people will come on and say it's different this time and it's discounting a lot of things. No, it, it's not different this time. It is the precursor of something bad. And a lot of people on Twitter, and somebody just said that Michael Burry tweeted, I didn't see it, I apologize. But a lot of people have said that, you know, in the beginning stages, everything looks like a soft landing. And you can go back and read some Twitter threads that some really smart people have put out to sort of get uh, a little up to speed on that. But to your point, Dan, if rates start moving higher, I don't think it's necessarily bullish or indicative that the economy has turned around. Yeah, he just said this is different. Maybe um, <clears throat> Jacob or Stephen can pull this up here. They're looking at, um, uh, I guess it's the S&P versus, what are we looking at here? Um, I don't know. I mean, this guy, for such a genius, could probably do a better job tweeting um, just because he never puts any, like, uh, there it is. What, what, what do we have up there? I don't even know what it is. All right, it's bearish, guys. Because last, <laughs> last week before Fed Chair Powell, uh, you know, took the stand, he said sell. So I have to assume that this means he, he's reiterating his sell guy. How's that? Um, I guess. I, I Somebody just pointed out that he tweeted. Also, somebody said he's a moron. He's a lot of things. Moron is not one of them. But, you know, yeah. we, that, that's for another show, I'm sure. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, Crude oil, by the way, just before we get yeah. out of here, you know, and, and to your point about input costs and inflation potentially being stickier, 
you know, every time crude, <laughs> excuse me, gets down to sort of those low 70s, it bounces and we're seeing it again. And, you know, there was a short term top in the underlying equities in terms of Chevron. I mean, to a certain extent, that Chevron buyback announcement in the very near term might have been a, a top, a short term top. And you highlighted that on Fast Money that night and on Market Call as well. But once again, crude seems to be getting back on its on its, you know, on the wagon. We'll see what that means, if anything. But I, you can't discount the fact that every time we push down to these levels, there is a bounce. And in large part, the equities have held up rather well. I don't want to get crazy, yeah. but rather well. Um, let's talk about um, not gas, uh, UNG. Um, mm -hmm. This is uh, you know an ETF or that tracks it. It may be an ETP, but um, you know, and and these things are tough. Carter came on last week and he was talking about it. he thinks it's you know buyable here. Um, I think it got as low just the other day as eight. Um, here it is at, at eight seventy six. That's a nearly you know, eight, nine percent move or so. Um, this thing's bombed out. Um, what, what thoughts here, guy? Again, because uh, I don't know, maybe the winter gets colder, maybe uh, the situation, and not rooting for it by any means, but I thought there was an interesting op ed in the New York Times by Tom Friedman, and you and I talked about it the other day offline, um, just saying how the second year of this war in Ukraine is going to get nasty, meaning like, and you've been saying this for a long time. You said in our podcast, you said it on market call here that this is not something that Putin can afford to lose. And I think the way Friedman was kind of outlining it, he's going to look at Europe, he's going to look at the U.S. and say, your move, because, uh, you know, I'm doubling down here. What are you guys willing to risk? And, you know, that, you know, again, is supportive of, of some of these. Yeah, I agree with that. And Carter pointed out, and if you look, you know, every time net gas in this chart is a pretty good indication. You know, every time we get a few standard deviations from the 200-day moving average, doesn't last very long. And the sell-offs, as you can see in the beginning of this chart, are significant. Uh, and the, I think the rallies are going to be equally significant. So I do think there's a very good chance, you know, we rally up to that 200-day moving average. It's not going to happen in a day. But I think in that gas plan alongside is so counter to what the market thinks right now that it's probably the right move. You know, we are now pushing at levels that doesn't make any sense. I understand um, that we're through, a, for the most part, you know, Europe has weathered the winter. Thank God for them, without question. We've obviously had pretty mild winter here, at least on half the country, which is obviously negative for prices. But there's going to be some sort of event, I think, that's going to get Nat Gas back on its horse. And this this move over the last year or so is eerily familiar what we saw yeah. with Amaranth back in the day when you know you just saw people blowing up left and right, and one people one person sort of stood above the fray. That guy's name is John Arnold. You might want to check him out on Twitter, but I think Carter's right. I think Nat gas on the long side looks pretty interesting here. Yeah. And as and I we wanna... speak, sorry, Dan, but you know, great call by you, but you know, the, the Dow is now negative and the S and P is now unchanged having been up. Yeah. I want to say almost 50 or so handles today. Again, there's, you know, two and a half hours left in the day or thereabouts. So no, we're going lower. This a lot is the, can everything, happen, but okay. everything's going to be red in, in an hour here. Uh, I just want to make one point if they want to pull up that NASDAQ futures chart again. So we were saying, you know, 12,710. 
12,700, right? And where are you going to place that stop? And we said just above those prior highs, move those stops down. If you're trading in the minis and you get a 50 handle move like that, right? So there's no reason to keep that stop at that prior level when you have 50 handles coming your way. And that's how I would be trading these uh, e-mini futures for some of you guys who are probably less inclined to trade uh, zero uh, day expiration options. But this is a day trade for me. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm sorry. We, you know, this was one of those, you know, certain shows have different, each day is different and you can hear, excuse me, the frustration in my voice because I don't want to be, I don't want to be wrong. Not because there's an ego attached to it. Cause I know people listen, you know, I understand for a lot of people, you know, they have money at work and money at stake. So it upsets me um, when, when I'm wrong about things, again, it's not an ego thing. It's just because we are trying to help people. I mean, we, trust me when I tell you, Dan, neither one of us is getting rich doing fast money. And for a large extent, what we try to do is help people navigate what has been at times extraordinarily difficult markets. I will tell you, as a lot of people have said, the last few months, I would say since Halloween or so, I think it's been one of the most confusing economic backdrops as well as market backdrops that I've seen in quite some time. Excuse well, me. listen, guy, you've been doing that for a long time, demystifying this stuff. And, and again, we recognize the fact that a lot of people who, who watch Market Call, listen to on the tape, um, tune into Fast Money, you know, you guys are not staring at fax set machines all day long like we are. You're not doing the sort of stuff. You have other jobs. This is something that you're either really passionate about, like self-directed, or it's a hobby of yours. And so we're trying to speak to you the way like normal people talk about regular things, and which is one of the reasons why the Michael Burry tweeting it's not useful unless you know the inside baseball. He's literally tweeting to a bunch of fancy, you know, Wall Street types. You know what I mean? Who like, you know, like like get the joke, I guess. You know, but like to tweet out something knowing that he's as influential, I guess, made pop, you know, made very popular by the Big Short, the book by Michael Lewis, and the movie by Adam McKay. You know, to me. It's not particularly useful. That's why mm. we're spending the time here breaking this stuff down and talking away like normal people talk to each other. So I'll leave it at that, guy. This was fun. I enjoy us being a little bit strained during the day as the markets are moving and trying to demystify some of this stuff for ourselves, too. I Believe me, it's good to talk about it. It's good to have a community around you. But that's it for today. Tomorrow, 11 a.m., Dan, 30-minute virtual event. Button smash it S- smash the subscribe button and I, I, I just i feel dirty saying it. Earnings, earnings energy back, esg butters back. hegarty reisman check it out <laughs> excuse me riskreversal.com slash fact set 2023 there's a link and description on both youtube dan and of course your favorite podcast store i know i have mine but i'm not going to share it because i don't want a lot of people to show up it's like when you have a favorite restaurant, you don't want to share it with people because you don't want it to be too crowded. It's that Yogi Berra thing. Nobody goes to that restaurant anymore. It's too crowded, which is brilliant if you think about it. That's it for Market Call. I want to thank CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. I want to thank FactSet, our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow with the great Carter Braxton Worth, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Obviously, prior to that, 11 a.m. Eastern Time with our triple E's. See you then.